Welcome to the Rebel Heart Coaching Podcast, where BSN registered nurse, integrative health practitioner, and board certified life coach, Samantha Shatek teaches you how to go beyond managing your circumstances and start intentionally creating a life you love using her proven strategies. Hi, friend. How are you today? I am so excited about today's topic. We are talking about part three of a five-part series, and it's a part of the mindset model that I introduced two episodes ago. And the topic for today's podcast is feelings. And for some reason, most people kind of cringe when we talk about feelings. For some reason, it's just one of those topics that people don't want to talk about. They don't feel like we need to talk about. But I'm here to talk about it because I think it's one of the most important things, not only that we can talk about, that we can master and manage in our life. And so I'm going to go into a little bit about what feelings are and then talk a little bit more about them. So hold on because it's going to be a good one. Okay, so put most simply, feelings are felt in our bodies as a sensation or a vibration that will pass through. And even though that's a simple definition, that's what they are. So people either tend to with emotions and feelings, and I'm going to interchange those two words, by the way, so feelings and emotions, although if we get technical, they are slightly different things, but I'm going to interchange them for the purpose of this podcast. So people either tend to ignore them, deny them, push them away, um, want to distract or buffer from them, or conversely, on the other end of the spectrum, people tend to get super overwhelmed. Uh, Their body and brains get hijacked by emotion. And I know we've all experienced that. I know I've experienced that. And we tend to, in that case, when we're in just our pure emotional uh, brain, we will sometimes act out or have behavior that we're not necessarily proud of or that is sabotaging us in some way. So the goal is to find the middle ground between not acknowledging our feelings and not letting them overrun our whole life and minds and bodies so that we're doing things that we don't want to do. So feelings are predominantly caused by a thought that then gets turned into an electrochemical messenger in our body. So whatever, and we've touched about this in the last two episodes, but it's worth repeating, especially if this is new, it can be kind of confusing and it kind of takes a minute to grasp. So whatever vibratory level of a feeling that you're having will coincide with the vibratory frequency of the thought that you're having. There is a woman who wrote the book called My Stroke of Insight, and her name is Jill Bolte-Taylor, and she suggests that when an emotion is triggered in our body, chemicals are released by our brain, then they surge through our body and they activate sensations that we feel, but they are then flushed out of our bloodstream within about 90 seconds or less. And we usually experience the physical sensations first, and then our brain registers 
as what is called a feeling. So a feeling can be caused by the thoughts first, but also feelings can be from trauma stored in the body or pent up energy. It doesn't necessarily have to be trauma. It can be feelings that haven't been allowed to be felt or processed that have been stored. They can come up from the body and be released at a later time, or they can be sent from the body to the brain from external stimuli. And here's an example, and I've used this before, but if you're on a roller coaster, that can create, because of the environment, your body's getting sensation and sending a message to your brain But then going back to this choice that you have that you can interpret the sensations that you're feeling, that that the butterflies that you're having, you can always choose, once you're aware, you can choose to interpret those butterflies as anxiety and fear, or you you can choose to interpret it as excitement. The main thing that we're talking about with the mindset model is definitely that our thoughts create feelings, but I just want to acknowledge that it can be from the top down from our brains and our thoughts, but it also can be from the bottom up from our bodies as well. So neuroscientists and their research does suggest that the biological lifespan of a feeling is often known first, as I mentioned, through bodily sensations such as butterflies in the stomach, a red face, your chest getting tight, or maybe in the case of gratitude or joy, you get warm fuzzies in the heart. This sensation will last approximately 90 seconds or less. So physiologically, our bodies can't stay in this arousal state very long. And our body always prefers to go back to homeostasis. So it will eventually go back to baseline as soon as it possibly can. And I'm going to address later why it seems like sometimes we have a feeling for longer than 90 seconds. um, And I'll talk about that later. So um, just wanting to talk about this brilliant book that I read, and I've read a lot of brilliant books and had a lot of amazing experiences, which has led me to talk about this topic today. But in her book, uh, 90 Seconds to a Life You Love, Joan I. Rosenberg, PhD, suggests that we can become aware of, embrace, and find balance by riding one or more of these 90-second waves of sensation. So by staying present, especially with difficult feelings, we then can cultivate the confidence that we can literally handle anything in life. And therefore, we're going to be more likely to pursue our dreams. And we're going to try more things because we'll know that the worst that can happen is literally a feeling. So according to research, knowing how to feel and deal with intense and overwhelming or uncomfortable feelings as well as the expansive big feelings of joy that sometimes people do have issues with because it brings up vulnerability. But knowing how to feel these mostly intense or overwhelming feelings are essential to be able to build confidence, resilience, and authenticity. So what happens is we tend, most of us, or at times we've all done this, we will distract, buffer, or disconnect from our present experience. So we kind of disconnect from our bodies uh, or our feelings. And in a way, we're abandoning ourselves when we do this. And we just move further away from like actual health and confidence. 
And we're not as likely to take bold action or to chase our dreams because we don't feel that we can handle, you know, what the outcome will be. So when you worry about or you refuse to take risks uh, or healthy risks, I should say, or leaps of faith, you're actually less afraid of the risk itself and more afraid of the unpleasant feeling that might result if you don't like the result. And so really true confidence develops when you know how to really be able to handle anything that comes your way and know that the emotional outcome of whatever you pursue is something you're going to be able to handle. This is going to make you say yes to more things. It's going to make you pursue more opportunities because if you don't get a response you like, you know without a doubt that eventually when you practice this, you're going to be able to handle any feeling. And I'm going to go into now a little bit as a general overview of how we can move through our feelings. And I acknowledge that this is different for everybody, but this process is a general guideline to if this is something that you've never thought about or want to get better at that you can follow. So the first, so there's three main steps. So the first step in how to move through the feelings is to make one choice. And that choice you'll have to make over and over again sometimes, especially when it's newer. You just have to decide that you are willing to be present and in touch with the moment-to-moment experience in your body as much as possible. So when you do this, you're opening yourself to encountering the full spectrum of human emotion that's absolutely normal. And then just checking in with yourself from, of course, a mostly compassionate and mindful place without judgment. So we start to be more of the observer, the neutral observer of our experience. And we can, you know, things like meditation and breath work and yoga and mindfulness help with this building this observer muscle or this muscle of being aware of your experience, especially your internal experience. So that's the first step is just making a choice and deciding that you're willing to be present. And number two is you're basically going to be feeling really uncomfortable, especially if you haven't been doing this. But even if you've been doing this, a lot of feelings are typically harder to tolerate. And those are the ones that we typically want to distract from. So basically what we're doing is we are, number one, making a choice to be present. And then we're allowing feelings to come up. Um, There's a term called interoception. And so it is your capacity to perceive or be aware of the internal state of your body. And this is, for example, how we know that we're thirsty or hungry, or if we're in pain, and it helps us to notice that we have a heaviness, for example, in our chest, if we're sad, or start noticing that when you're nervous, you have butterflies in your stomach, or that when you feel joy, that you feel a warm fuzziness around your heart. What are you doing? If you're not paying attention to yourself and you're abandoning yourself, what are you doing? And sometimes it is super less obvious and it's tricky, but here's one that is, I think, pretty pervasive with a lot of people. And a lot of times it can be as simple as we tighten our muscles so that we don't feel our feelings as much because then the energy can't move through us. We clench our jaw, 
we tighten our muscles, we clench our fists, or maybe you're you're really good at staying present. Maybe you're already doing that. And I'm going to say right now, these are some nine common, really tough feelings that not many people want to feel. And there's probably more, but I think these are really common. And so these are some feelings to just look out for and know that they're normal, but also that they cause more intense physical sensation in the body. And that is sadness or grief, shame. Shame is a big one. I think that's a really hard one for people. Envy slash jealousy, helplessness or powerlessness, anger. I think anger is a really big one. Embarrassment. No one wants to feel embarrassed. That's a really tough one for a lot of people, disappointment, frustration, and vulnerability. And I think vulnerability is a big one. No one really wants to feel vulnerable because it makes them feel weak. But I am going to talk about later how actually we can we can turn this around. So so the first thing is to just make a choice to be present. Second is to try to notice how you're dealing with feelings when they come up. Are you present with them? Are you staying present? And breathing through them, or are you tending to distract or try to buffer with something? And three is just continue to stay present with the feelings for at least 90 seconds. You can breathe through it. There will be waves and the bodily sensations or physical sensations will show up. And I think at first for most people, in order to process feelings, especially if you're not used to it, or if it's a really tough feeling, you might want to put aside some time to just be at home by yourself um, if that's possible or just at least at home so that you can, if you need to cry, cry. Maybe there'll be, you know, you'll need to moan or vocalize or take deep breaths or just be in a space where you cannot have interruptions and just really like listen to yourself and listen to your feelings. And um, I still do this. And I think for some of the bigger feelings or harder things that we go through, maybe this is exactly what you need. But eventually the goal and I think an ideal is so that we can function in life. Most of us are already doing this and we might not even know it. But to intentionally be able to be with our feelings and not disconnecting from ourselves, but still like being with someone or being at a meeting or being in public or being at work, but you know, having your own internal process, but still functioning functioning externally. So in other words, you could be with your family all day and you could be sitting with and processing and observing waves of shame or waves of grief, but not acting out from that place and not letting it overwhelm you. And so that's my personal goal. And I think that's something that that is realistic because we don't always have time to, you know, sit and listen to ourselves uninterrupted at home. And so the reality is, is that we're out and about and living our life or there's people around. And so how do we not abandon ourselves and like stay checked in with ourselves and still function and communicate. Um, And I think that has been a challenge for me, but that's something that I continue to work on. Those are the three basic steps. And obviously it's more nuanced and complex, but at their very core, if you're willing to just do that, you're going to have a whole bunch going for you. So the minute that you disconnect or distract, you're going to go through life feeling less fulfilled. But when you can connect and tolerate a little bit or a lot of discomfort now for you know, 90 seconds or less, or 
even if sometimes the waves of feelings keep coming, it's, it's a very like impermanent feeling. You can better connect to the vitality of life and your own life force. And it's just so much more empowering in the end to have a little bit of discomfort now. And you're also able to live your life far more by your own design rather than by default. Also, a lot of things that can change, and I'm just giving an example, it's not the entire list, but you'll be able to minimize anxiety, your fear of failure, and also feeling judged by others. I know a lot of us are recovering people pleasers or still people pleasing, and I think being able to feel your feelings surprisingly helps a lot of these issues. It also kind of helps squash negative self-talk or harsh self-criticism, or at least it'll silence it or weaken it a little bit more so it's not so strong. And just letting go of emotional baggage, it'll seem simpler. Life will just seem simpler and it'll free you up to take more healthy risks, as I've mentioned, um, trusting others and just letting yourself be more vulnerable and seeing yourself as powerful because you're vulnerable. And I think also you'll welcome change more readily. You'll be more emotionally resilient. And I think confidence will be your new normal. So many of us want to avoid unpleasant feelings now because they are so uncomfortable or they create like some amount of pain in our bodies. But our emotions are so important. They provide vital information and our feelings are really barometers for how we're thinking and They have important information that can both protect us and also enhance our life. Um, It even can help keep us engaged with others and it can just, it, it helps us overall to gauge where we're at. And so shutting that out is also shutting out vital information about what we know. Um, We think that by, for example, over drinking or overworking or eating or Netflixing or sexing or any other way that we can buffer, we think that this will solve the emotion. And to be honest, in the short term, when we check Facebook and see that we've gotten like 20 more likes, or when we consume concentrated sugars, or when we have a drink, like all of this really does provide short term relief in the form of dopamine. And so our brains love that. And also not to mention that sugar, for example, is a pain reliever. So there is a reason that we do tend to seek out this comfort because the truth is, is we all need dopamine. And so we have to, that's a whole nother topic, but how we are receiving and getting and seeking out our dopamine should be much more healthy and much more intentional and in lower amounts that are spread out, that's how we're meant to get our dopamine. But because of our culture right now, everything is so concentrated, it's totally throwing off our brain and how much dopamine is considered normal. And that's a whole other topic. Unfortunately, if we keep consistently distracting, avoiding, and disconnecting with our feelings and with ourselves we tend to see an increase in anxiety and and lots of pain in our body and not to mention feeling more disempowered. And over time, if we keep distracting and not feeling our feelings, people tend to sort of feel, and there's lots of other reasons for this, but a, but a core reason of feeling empty 
and numb and even depressed is because we're not allowing ourselves to connect with our core feelings. Like our feelings are part of who we are and it's part of our barometer and gauge and it's really important and people tend to, you know, shut them down and sort of poo-poo them as like a side note. I've got news for you. Your feelings are what drive your behavior or lack of behavior. So they're really important. And also, if you keep being disconnected from yourself, these people will tend to isolate, feel alienated and feel hopeless. And those just aren't good places to be for long. The more that you're willing to face the pain and discomfort of the experience in the moment, the more capable and confident we all become. And, you know, honestly, it's no wonder that we don't really know how to feel or or we don't feel safe feeling our feelings because we have been taught and brought up with certain messages for the most part about our emotions that really don't serve us. And it's a large component in many of our issues, I think, both individually and collectively. So many people maintain this faulty perception of what emotional strength is. And, you know, for a long time, I feel like I adopted and embraced a lot of these unquestioned beliefs myself. Um, But for example, a lot of people believe that being emotionally strong means controlling your emotions to a point of shutting them down or shutting them out, shutting out thoughts and feelings, even needs or perceptions. In other words, when we dismiss all of this, we're dismissing what we know, which is our core intuition and our core knowing. Um, And this actually leaves most people feeling weaker and actually more exposed when we try so hard to not know what we authentically know. And so I'm going to read through a list of qualities that tend to be associated with people who have bought into beliefs about emotional strength and what it means. And I'm going to also read a list that is some core statements or beliefs that we've all been programmed with. And I just want you to see if any of these resonate or sound familiar. First, I'm going to read some qualities of people that tend to repress emotions, not deal with them, and also as a consequence, not always, but tend to have lower self-confidence. So here are some qualities. Doubt or question most things you say or do. Uh, They're hesitant to take healthy risks. They're often anxious all the time. They worry about being a burden to others. They worry about what others think. Uh, Someone like this might believe that you have to do everything uh, independently without any help at all. Um, You might hate asking for help. Other people's needs and feelings are always more important than your own and also to the detriment of yourself and the denial of yourself and not emotionally expressive to keep from appearing or feeling vulnerable. That's a big one. They don't show any vulnerability because they don't want to be perceived as weak. They diminish their hard work and accomplishments and they really don't take compliments or they refuse compliments. Now I'm going to list a few beliefs that we have been taught in this society that lead to misconceptions about emotional strength. So see if any of these resonate with you. That crying and tearfulness make you look weak. That you need to tough it out, buck up. You need to get with it. You need to snap out of it. You need to do it all yourself. Don't be a baby. Don't show your soft side. You're not feeling that way, 
someone might say to you, which is actually a form of gaslighting, which is denying your core truth about what you're feeling. Um, Another belief or comment would be someone saying that's not like you. Uh, Don't ask for help. Tender, soft emotions are weakness. Pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. So these sayings, beliefs, or cliches, they might be potentially helpful in the short term, But if you sustain these views long term of emotional strength, they're typically more hurtful than helpful if embraced. So being emotionally resilient is feeling capable and being internally resourceful. So yes, I feel like we need to be able to internally process and handle tough feelings and be self-reliant and responsible. And all of these are awesome. You know, there's a need for independence in our lives and we want to feel capable, right? We want to feel like we can pick ourselves up and help ourselves. But we also need to acknowledge where we're at a limit and be able to ask for help and then graciously receiving support. And that could be in the form of time, love, general support, energy, And we're really bad in this society about that. And giving and receiving have to go hand in hand. So if one's there and not the other, we're not completing the cycle. So it's about being comfortable with and finding balance between both your independence and dependence and your your feelings that are associated with both of those ways of being. So, you know, we're inherently social and tribal beings. But for those of us who've grown up in individualistic cultures, especially like here in the U.S., we tend to be raised with the belief that relying really on anyone or asking for help is a burden and it's considered weak. But honestly, as humans, we have a need to varying degrees to be alone but and independent and to pursue our goals, of course. But we also have a need to be in communion and to be with others and be in community and ask for help when we need it. And in my opinion, it takes a lot of courage and vulnerability and real strength to be comfortable enough in yourself to ask for help when you need it and recognize that fact. The other thing about emotions is we can't completely always control them, but I'm hoping that by hearing this podcast and other tools that you might come across that'll just help you become aware of and like modify so that you can be more functional in your life. So for a long time, I wondered why my feelings seem to last longer than this 90 seconds, right? So I get the idea that they last 90 seconds and then dissipate, but my feelings seem to go on much longer. And it seems like in part because when the stress hormone is activated, cortisol will linger in the bloodstream for a while. So that may, the cortisol may last longer than 90 seconds, but the feeling and the sensation of the feeling itself typically lasts 90 seconds or less. But here's the reason, in addition to the cortisol being left over, um, the reason that we may feel a feeling longer than 90 seconds is this. So if you continue to think about the thing that triggered you or the situation or the memory over and over, and often this is an effort obviously to resolve it or make sense of it, but each time you think about it, it reactivates that biochemical wave of emotion. So then you will continue to experience approximately the same 
bodily sensations that were tied to memory and emotion or the initial situation. So technically, it's your thinking about and memory of the initial emotion, not the emotion itself. And that can last, depending on how long you're thinking about it, it can last minutes, hours, days, or even years past the initial event. This is where thankfully, once we become aware, we do have a choice what we think about and therefore what we're feeling. Once we are conscious of this process, we can start changing it. And this is where the mindset model as a whole comes in. So here's an example. Let's say um, you feel disappointed because a friend canceled for lunch last minute. So within 90 seconds of this initial trigger, the chemical of disappointment and the sensations in your body will have left your bloodstream. However, if you keep thinking about this situation and you remain disappointed, you've chosen to let that circuit continue to run and you will continue to have waves of 90 second sensations in your body related to this initial disappointment. The more that we could acknowledge and move through our feelings in any given moment that they are present, then the less that they're going to linger and take up space in our body, in our mind, in our, in our psyche. And so this is the key that I'm pointing out here is that we may not have a choice sometimes over our initial triggers or things outside of our control that are neutral circumstances that happen to us, but we can get better at feeling our feelings fully and being present in the moment and being really comfortable with the discomfort of feeling them now and not abandoning ourselves and not distracting so that we're not left with much more pain and suffering later. And we can get a lot better at choosing what thoughts we want to think. And we can get better at becoming aware that we're repeatedly triggering this emotion and we can stop doing that. And it's easier to talk about than to do, but with practice, really anything is truly possible. So I just want to acknowledge that in saying all of this, there's an awareness that I have that both nature, which is genetics and, you know, our innate temperament, as well as nurture, which is our life experiences are always at play. And I just want to fully recognize that there are difficult, painful, tragic things and experiences that are traumatic that unequivocally affect our function, especially as we age on our response. And I recognize and acknowledge their influence on someone's development and someone's capacity to handle unpleasant feelings. And I also acknowledge that I believe if we have the capacity to think and learn, then we always have a chance to change. And the past can definitely help us explain our problems and make sense of them. But I don't feel like our past is an excuse not to try. I don't think it's an excuse to be a victim to it. Um, I also want to acknowledge that empaths and highly sensitive people, they are, and also neurodivergent folks, they have more potential emotions that they feel in a more intense way. And this definitely may require more in-depth strategies for regulating and more skills. 
So I just want to say that in the case of trauma, in the case of highly sensitive people and neurodivergent folks, that this formula is wonderful and it's still at the core, but there's going to be a lot more strategies and tools that are needed in that case. If you are ready and you are going to decide today, I want you to, number one, if you're ready, I want you to make one choice now and you can make this choice every day and you can make it in every moment. So even if you abandon yourself, you know, if you're not having awareness one moment, the next moment and next time something comes up, you get to make a new choice. So I want to urge you today to just decide to be present with as much of your moment to moment experience in your body, including your thoughts, your feelings, your sensations, and just a willingness to embrace what you already know. And then you're going to mix that with number two, an openness to your sensations and vibrations in your body that are likely going to only last for 90 seconds unless you keep them running and it's going to be uncomfortable. So you're going to be uncomfortable. You're going to need to figure out strategies that work for you. And third, an attitude and a willingness to stay connected with yourself, not abandon yourself, not avoid, distract, check out, or numb. And at first, this, again, might look like being alone on the couch. And it could include vocalizations like deep sighs or even some tears, maybe some laughter. But also, as we talked about earlier, just learning to be with the feelings and bodily sensations but still being able to be in public or at your job or around people without anyone necessarily knowing, but you know that you're staying in connection with yourself and your experience and not abandoning yourself. And at the same time, you're not letting the feelings overwhelm you and hijack your brain and body, and you're not acting out from the emotion. There's a huge difference between being able to, for example, feel your anger, which is an internal process, to acting out from your anger, which is an external action. And I actually used to think, and maybe you'll resonate with this, that in order to feel my feeling, I had to express the feeling. And why I think that that could be an important thing, like we can express ourselves through podcasts, through art, through poetry, through painting... I now understand that I can internally process anger and I can get support around that if I need, want coaching or counseling, or I can paint a picture. But in the moment, it is my job internally to process that emotion and not necessarily act out from it or have to express it. So if you're willing to do this, you are going to gain so much more and you're going to suffer so much less in the long term. It's not easy. It is work and it takes discipline. And, you know, I work on this every day. I'm working on it with you. But honestly, you're going to gain confidence. You're going to be able to create your life more by design rather than by default. And you're going to be far more healthy and fulfilled. So I want to know, are you coming with me on this journey. If you're ready, let's go. Thank you so much for listening today and I'll talk to you soon. And hey, I also want to invite you to join me for my six month coaching program. 
I'll work with just you one-on-one and I'm going to help you get the results that I know you can get. I promise your life will be different. Go to www.rebelheartcoaching.com to sign up for a consult today. I'll see you inside.